Welcome, everyone, to the new 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories podcast. Here you'll find a collection of Sherlock Holmes adventures, as well as the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's stories. Some from our archives at 1001 Classic Short Stories and 1001 Stories for the Road, and some newly produced, all here for your entertainment. Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce and the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invites you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. And I'd like to ask you a short, simple question. Have you ever tried a glass of sherry before dinner? If you haven't, you'll never know what you're missing till you do. And make that sherry Petri California sherry. Because Petri sherry is the best beginning a good meal ever had. Just hold a glass of Petri sherry to the light. Look at its wonderful clear amber color. Now just get a whiff of that aroma. Bouquet, the experts call it. I'm telling you, you can just smell those big, luscious grapes. Now, best of all, taste your Petri sherry. Sip it. Sip it slowly so you don't miss one single drop of this truly delicious wine. Yes, without a doubt, Petri Sherry is good wine. Oh, and incidentally, Petri makes two kinds of sherry. Regular Sherry and Petri Pale Dry. Both are fine. And if you're not sure which you might like best, do what I do. Don't buy one, buy two. Try them both. And serve them proudly because the name Petri is the proudest name in the history of American wines. And now I'm sure our good friend and host, Dr. Watson, is waiting, so let's go and join him. Good evening, Doctor. Good evening, Mr. Bartell. Here, Down, down, Monty. Down, down there. Dogs seem very chipper tonight. Yes, tonight, yes, but they've been in disgrace most of the day, Mr. Bartell. Oh? What have they been up to? After the seals again, Doctor? Oh, my boy, this time it was chickens. They got into my neighbor's coop and had a delightful time. Fortunately, there were no casualties, but I'm afraid that my... uh, my good neighbor policy has suffered a slight diplomatic strain. But you come here to listen to Sherlock Holmes' adventures, not those of my dog, so uh, draw up your usual chair and make yourself comfortable, and uh, I'll get on with tonight's story. Last week, Doctor, you told us it was a case in which Sherlock Holmes found the solution without ever meeting any of the suspects. That's quite correct, Mr. Bartell. As remarkable as an exhibition of long-distance detection as I ever recall. But uh, judge the story for yourself, my boy. It was in the autumn of 1903, and Sherlock Holmes was about to retire to his bee farm on the Sussex Downs. I must confess, Mr. Bartell, that my heart was heavy during those last few weeks we spent at Baker Street. I thought of the countless adventures that we'd shared together. I remembered those many evenings of quiet comradeship and companionship. A fire blazing away in the hearth as Holmes lay back in the shadows playing his beloved violin. And then, Mr. Bartell, as so often happened... There'd be a violent jangle on our doorbell and some wretched soul in misery would be standing before us and pouring out his troubles. Suddenly the violin would be discarded and Holmes the dreamer would become Holmes the man of action. Come, Watson, the game's afoot, he'd say. And then a few moments later, we'd be rattling off in a cab through the foggy, gaslit London streets. Yes, Doctor, I can imagine it was pretty hard for you to leave Baker Street. It was, Mr. Bartell. However, as it transpired, there was one more adventure awaiting us before we left. 
A few days before the actual move, I persuaded Holmes to take an afternoon off from his packing and accompany me on a visit to the laboratory of an old friend of mine, a Professor Jean Boulin. He was an eminent French scientist engaged in very important work at the London University. Well, by the way, this was at a period, Mr. Bartell, when radium was something extremely new and extremely rare. The university had just acquired a minute but invaluable portion of the element, and Professor Boulin was in charge of the research connected with it. I can remember the picture so well as Holmes stood in the laboratory talking with keen interest to the distinguished scientist. Amazing, Professor Boulin. Quite amazing. Think that this tiny leaden vessel contains one of the most precious substances in the world. Yes, Mr. Holmes. We have a great deal to thank Madame Curie for. This new element may force us entirely to revise our concepts of all physical structure. Your research is a great responsibility, Boulin. It is, Watson. But I must confess that I wish the authorities here would give me a freer hand. I foresee such infinite possibilities in the use, particularly the medical use of radium. But my conservative superiors seem to regard it only as a toy, a scientific curiosity. Limit your experiments accordingly, I suppose. Exactly. I'm given no opportunity to do anything that's in the least radical. Mm, it must be very disheartening. How can research ever get anywhere along those lines? It is a great misfortune, Holmes, that you've determined to retire to your bee farm. <laughs> uh, this project, we could use such an analytical mind as yours. <laughs> you flatter me, Professor. How many assistants do you have working with you, Buller? Three, but none of them are very inspired, I'm afraid. What? My best assistant is a man in Barker. He's a little on the conservative side, too. But he is extremely adroit. The other two, a young man called Taylor and the girl Gladys Hughes. They mean well. But gauche, I fear, is the only word to describe them. <laughs> why, why, why do you laugh, Buller? I was just amused to observe that in describing my assistants, I chanced to be literal as well as figurative. It's odd that random symbolism can sometime... Uh, uh, but never mind that. You would like to see the laboratory? Yes, yes, indeed we would. Yes, thank you very much. I have some extraordinarily interesting photographic plates that record the emanations of radium. They're over here. I think you will find them most fascinating. <laughs> Baker Street, particularly when our rooms are full of packing cases, seems rather drab after the scientific stimulations of Professor Boulin's laboratory. Don't it, old chap? Yes, it seemed drab even if we hadn't been to see him. I feel frightfully depressed, Holmes. I just don't know what I'm going to do without you. Oh, you're still a young man, Watson, and a susceptible one. You'll marry again. No, no, I won't. <laughs> you will, old chap. And you'll end up by being glad that your old roommate, your difficult, rather unsociable old roommate is living in retirement on the Sussex Downs. Rubbish. I shan't feel anything of the kind. In any case, I don't think you'll be able to stay in retirement for long. Your mind is much too alert to be satisfied by being a sort of midwife to a bunch of beastly bees. Oh, dear Watson. I feel that you'll never eat honey again. Yes, you can laugh, Holmes, but I could see how excited you were when Bull suggested that you might help him with his radium experiment. Oh, flattering suggestion, I must admit, my dear fellow. Just the same, I... Oh. Now, who the devil's that? From the urgency of the tug on the bell pull, I'd say that it was a client. Then go and head him off, will you, old chap? Yes, I'll, I'll do my best. Oh, uh, Watson, the thing that I'm no longer in practice. It's 
Too late, Holmes. He's bust past Mrs. Hudson. Here he comes rushing up the stairs. Oh, confound it. I beg your pardon, sir. Are you Mr. Sherlock uh, Holmes? Uh, no, I am not Sherlock. Then you must be Mr. Holmes. That is my name, sir. But may I ask what accounts for your rather whirlwind entrance? My housekeeper, Mrs. Hudson... I haven't any time to consider oh. etiquette. My sister Gladys Hughes has vanished. Vanished mm-hmm. into thin air. You've got to find her for me, Mr. Holmes. I'll pay you any fee you name, but you've got to find uh, her. Mr. Hughes, I'm extremely sorry that your sister has vanished, but I'm afraid that I can do nothing to help you. I'm retiring. I'm giving up my practice. If you won't help me, I'll go to someone who will. That's exactly what I mean, sir. I suggest that you go to the police, or if you insist on a private investigator, I can strongly recommend Mr. Martin Hewitt. Yes, his address is um, 39 Pont Street, Knightsbridge. Good day to you. Uh, good day, Mr. Hewitt. 36 Pont Street, Knightsbridge. <clears throat> Mr. Martin Hewitt. I can understand his concern, but his manners leave a great deal to be desired. Holmes, Holmes. Gladys Hughes, his missing sister, that was the name of... One of Professor Boulin's assistants, wasn't it? True, old fellow, but it's uh, probably only a coincidence. What? Both Christian and surnames are extremely common ones. Well, I... I have a feeling that it may not be a coincidence. Oh, 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 come now, my dear fellow. Don't you try and embroil me in a fresh adventure. I've retired and I'm leaving for Sussex in a few days. And if any more clients come wrenching at my doorbell, I shall ignore them. But, Mr. Holmes, you've got to help me. My son, Jeffrey Barker, has disappeared. I'm sorry, Mrs. Barker, but I'm afraid I'm... Holmes, Jeffrey Barker was the name of Professor Boulin's chief assistant. Uh, Watson, please believe me when I say that I'm not to be inveigled into any further... Uh, Mrs. Taylor, I'm sorry, but I can't help you. Oh, but, Mr. Holmes, it's my husband. He's disappeared. We've only been married three months, and now... Oh, it's terrible. I, I've been so worried ever since he started to work on that strange new radium with Professor Jean. Holmes, you can't pretend it's coincidence any longer. Gladys Hughes, Jeffrey Barker, and now Taylor, the three assistants of Professor Buller. Oh, I know it, Watson. Mrs. Taylor, the moving van will be here tomorrow to take, to take my things to Sussex. I shall follow them immediately. I have retired, madam. Do you understand that? Retired. <laughs> Yes, another telegram for Holmes. That'll be the fourth today. Why won't Scotland go alone? Well, it's a pretty strange business. Three people engaged in research of this new element, radium, have all disappeared within 48 hours. Scotland Yard needs your help. Let them earn their salaries, my dear Watson. I've helped them for the last time. Well, let's see how they've couched their latest diffusion. Oh, this isn't from Scotland Yard. It's from my brother, Mycroft. Mycroft? What's he going to say? Listen to this. Now Professor Boulin has disappeared. Great Scott. And the radium with him. Surely the pattern is obvious, Sherlock. Radium must be found. Could solve the problem for you, but I'm too lazy. Consider what a flashy case for you to retire on regards Mycroft. Ha, 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 the old devil. Holmes, this is shocking. My old friend Boulin has, has disappeared. Yes, Watson, and now my brother asks me to investigate. Hmm. The pressure becomes irresistible. Very well. I bow to fate and postpone my retirement for a few hours. Good man, Holmes. You know, you'll you'll never really retire. Let me see. As Mycroft says, there's an obvious pattern in this case. Our first step, of course, will be to interview all the doctors who treat patients without charge. Why? Well, surely that's obvious. Well, it isn't at all obvious to me. I don't know why you always leave me in the dark. (laughs) Well, what makes you laugh? (laughs) Being left in the dark. It's just like the old times, isn't it, Holmes? Come on, old fellow. Let's go. The game's afoot. Uh, Dr. MacDonald, this is Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Mr. Sherlock Holmes, uh, 
I'm very glad to meet you. And are you, uh, Dr. MacDonald? I swear that I've never been in as many doctor's offices as I have today. But Mr. Holmes is in search of some information. Perhaps, Doctor, you, you can help him. I'll do my best. What do you want to know, Mr. Holmes? Uh, whether you have any charity patients with skin eruptions or growths of any kind. I mean, oh. patients that have not kept their appointments recently, perhaps. Now, let me see. Why, why yes, I do. Old Mrs. Pendle. She has a very bad case of lupus. She was due for a treatment here yesterday, and I've seen nothing of her. Splendid. Can you give me her address? Why, certainly. It's in my book here. Well, I hope this isn't a false trail, Holmes. You can only explore it and see, dear chap. Ah, here we are. Mrs. Pendle, 36 Elm Gardens, Clapham. Mrs. Pendle, 36 Elm Gardens, Clapham. Thank you, Doctor. I'm greatly obliged to you. Getting restless, Watson? Yes, I am a little. We've been waiting outside Mrs. Pendle's house for over an hour. Why don't we knock on the door? She sees at home. Oh, no, 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 my dear chap. We mustn't frighten her. I hope that she's going to lead us to our quarry. You see... Shh, shh, shh. Front door's opening. A woman's coming out. Yes, it's Mrs. Pendle, beyond doubt. Look at that bandage around the upper part of her face. Yeah. Hello, she's turning down the street. We're going to follow her, I suppose. Naturally, but let's give, us a, let's give her a start, shall we? We don't want her to spot us. Well, while we're waiting, perhaps you'll clear up one or two points for me. I'm still very much in the dark. With pleasure, old chap. What puzzles you? Well, one of the things that Come I... Come on. Do... Well? We've given her enough of a start. Let's follow her. Oh, very well, very well. But look here, um, You asked me what I didn't understand. Two things puzzle me. What did Mycroft mean by the pattern of the case? Why are we following a poor sick old lady through the London street... I'll ask, answer the first question, and I think the answer to the second will be self-apparent. The pattern of the case is clear. Professor Boulin and his three assistants have vanished together with the radium, but their disappearances were not simultaneous. Had they been so, it would have been a transparent case of theft. But with the disappearances gradual rather than simultaneous, the emphasis has been subtly shifted. Yes, I can see that, Holmes, but what do you suppose is at the back of the whole business? Can't be a simple case of theft. Radium is enormously valuable. But it'd be hard stuff to sell again. Not to an unscrupulous criminal with a knowledge of medicine, Watson. My own theory, and I admit at the moment that it's purely a theory, is that Professor Boulin was worried because he was so hampered in his research. You remember that he stressed his great faith in the medical values of the new element, radium. Yes, 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 he did. It's more than possible that he places the rights of science above the rights of property, that he's determined that he and his group will carry on their invaluable research unhampered by the conservative restraints of the university. I see what you mean, Holmes, but how does Mrs. Pendle, the poor woman that we're following, enter the picture? Because one of the chief lines of radium research on the continent so far has been with her sort of trouble. Professor Boulin's obvious move, if my theory is correct, would be to contact poverty-stricken patients... Promise them relief, induce them to abandon their regular treatments, and submit to him. By Joe, yes, Holmes, that seems perfectly logical, and yet I can't believe that Boulin would Mrs. do... Mrs. Pendleton has uh, reached her destination. She's turned down a driveway. Yes, she's walking up to what looks like a, a deserted well. Howdy, old chap. Don't let her out of our sight. She's opened the door without knocking. She's gone in. We'll wait here for a moment or two, then we'll follow her. I have a feeling that your old friend, Professor Boulin, is not far away, Watson. Yes, you're probably right. But I hope we can do something to protect him from the consequences of what he's done. It might easily mean the finish of a brilliant career. I'll do everything in my power, but you know as well as I do... Shh, shh, look, 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 look. Mrs. Pendle's coming out again. Yes, and she's in trouble. Come on. 
Mrs. Pendle, what's wrong? I don't know how you know my name or who you be, but you ask me what's wrong. They tell me to come here to this address, and I find a doctor who'd help my face. I comes here, and what do I find? What did you find, madam? A corpse, sir. That's what I find. A dead man lying there in a great pool of his own blood. You'll hear the rest of Dr. Watson's story in just a second. So I'm just going to remind you that there's one wine which everyone likes and which is good on any occasion. Petri California Sherry. You want a swell wine to serve before dinner? The perfect answer is Petri Sherry. If you want a wine that's delicious after dinner or later in the evening when you're talking things over with your friends, again, you want Petri Sherry. And if you want a wonderful wine to serve at cocktail time... Naturally, you want Petri Sherry. Sherry is a wine that's good at any time. And Petri, well, Petri is the wine that's good all the time. Well, Dr. Watson, so following the tracks of old Mrs. Pendle led you to a corpse, huh? Yes, Mr. Bartell. Of course, Sherlock Holmes and I went at once into the broken-down warehouse to examine the scene of the tragedy. Slumped over a desk in a dark and shabby room, a flickering candle giving a macabre lighting to the scene was the body of a man. I think I knew its identity even before Holmes turned to me. He said... It's Professor Boulard. All right, Watson. Poor devil. Murdered, of course. Yes, but examine him for yourself, will you? Yes. Yes, there's no doubt about it. This wound couldn't have been self-inflicted. The right oracle of the heart has, has been pierced. How long ago would you estimate death took place? Well... Not than uh, a couple of hours ago, I should say. Uh, not hard to reconstruct the killing. The murderer came up from behind Boulin as he sat here. Crooked an arm around his throat. Yes. See the finger marks on the right-hand side of the neck? Here? And then stabbed him in the chest. And then withdrew the weapon and disappeared. Leaving no traces, confound it. A dusty room is an ideal place for recording footprints, but uh, there are half a dozen different prints here, including Mrs. Pendle's. Hello. There's the print of a smaller woman's shoe. Well, it must be that of Gladys Hughes, his assistant. Undoubtedly. But that really proves nothing except that she was here with him. The fact that we were convinced of anyway. Mm. Question is... Come on. Let's go outside and talk to Mrs. Pendle again. Poor old Boulin. What a shocking way to die. And what a great loss to science. I suppose the murderer must have stolen the radium. We found no trace of it in there. Undoubtedly, the possession of the radium was the motive for the murder. Uh, Mrs. Pendle. The poor man is dead, ain't he, sir? I'm afraid so, madam. I knew it. I never should have come here. I never should have left Dr. MacDonald. Mrs. Pendle, let me ask you a question. I can't be answering no questions, sir. I don't know nothing about how the poor soul got himself murdered. What would a poor woman like me know about no, such no, things? No, 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 my good woman. My friend isn't suggesting at all know anything about the murder. Then what do you want to know, sir? Who told you to come to this address today, Mrs. Pendle? A young lady. Nice young lady she was, too. She met me coming out of Dr. MacDonald's yesterday and told me that if I come here today, I'd find a doctor who could cure me. Yeah, that was obviously Miss Hughes. Holmes, I believe that your theory was right. Come on, Mrs. Pendle. We'll escort you to the nearest police station where you can report the murder. Yes, sir. And then, Watson, we must keep on the track of the radium. That, perhaps, is more important than any life. Well, how are we going to do that? We haven't a clue to go on. Remember that Professor Boulin's three assistants are still missing. 
We must go to the homes of each of them and see what can be found out. Mr. Hughes, you must realize by now that your sister's disappearance is part of something vastly more significant than you think. I must ask you in the first... My sister didn't disappear, Mr. What do you mean, sir? You came to us and said that you had. Oh, it was all a mistake, gentlemen. She came back today. She'd just been down to the seaside for a short rest, and she'd forgotten to let me know. I'm sorry to have bothered you. May I see your sister at once, please? I'm sorry, Mr. Holmes, but she's out just now. I don't know where she's gone or what time she'll be back. Mrs. Barker, I've come to you about your son's disappearance. I'm afraid that... Oh, but my son didn't disappear, Mr. Holmes. It was all misunderstanding. He came home today. Then may we speak to him, please, Mrs. Barker? Oh, I'm afraid that's impossible. You see, he... Mrs. Taylor, I want to talk to you about your husband's disappearance. Oh, that... He came home this afternoon, Mr. Holmes. At first, I was so suspicious, but... But when he explained, well... Well, I'm sure you know how it is in the first few months of marriage. Those, those little tears. Confound it, Watson. We are no nearer the solution. And meanwhile, here we are back in Baker Street to find that the moving van has taken all your things off the Sussex. Perhaps you should give up the case, Holmes, and follow them. Close my career on a note of failure. No, 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 my dear fellow. I shall not leave London until this problem is solved. In that case, I'll I'll sit down. (coughs) Looks to me as if it may prove a lengthy wait. I've rarely felt more frustrated, Watson. All three vanished technicians home safely with plausible stories, or at least plausible alibis. And poor Boulin murdered, the radium stolen. Well, I must say it makes no sense to me. It must make sense. The pattern was well enough to find in the beginning. It's just a question of... Finding the right key. In a way, it's clear enough what's happened. One of the three assistants, placing the financial value of radium above its value to science, murdered Boulin to obtain the prize. The other two, fearing that their complicity in the original plot would involve them as accomplices in murder, ran home and established an alibi. And the murderer did the same thing, for it's obvious one of the three must be the killer and the thief. Yes, the question is... Which one of the three is the culprit? If only poor Boulin were alive, he could help us. My dear chap, if Boulin were alive, there would be no murderer. Well, of course it wouldn't. Now, let's see, let's see, let's see. Boulin gave us a few bare facts about his three assistants. I, I wonder... But, of course, Watson, I have the answer. The case is solved. What do you mean, Holmes? How can it be solved? You haven't done enough investigation. If it comes to that, you haven't even seen any of your three suspects. That isn't necessary. Oh, you know who did it? Yes, Watson, and so should you. But we know nothing to set them apart from each other, except that one of them's a girl. We know more than that, my dear fellow. Think hard. Well, Boulin told us that Geoffrey Barker was an excellent technician, while the other two were somewhat uh, we know, clumsy. We know even more than that. Well, I'm just if I know what, Holmes. I shan't even need to stay in London and follow the case through to its logical conclusion. A telegraph uh, to uh, Mycroft and another to... Uh, Scotland Yard should take care of it, yes. And I can be in Sussex before the moving van, after all. You mean you're going now before the case is solved? But it is solved, my dear fellow. All that remains to be done is some purely routine work. Uh, what's the time? Uh, look, it's uh, just three o'clock. Uh, splendid. If we hurry, we can catch the 345 Express from Waterloo. We? Yes, I, um, I was counting on you spending a few days down there with me, old chap. I, I hope you can spare the time. I should hate to make so drastic a change without, uh, my good old friend Watson at my side? Oh, of course, I'm uh, delighted, but... Uh, but but uh, what, my dear boy? The case of the disappearing scientists. Wait until we get to Sussex, shall we? 
As soon as I get an answer to my telegrams, I'll explain the whole thing to you. And now let's hurry, shall we? Our train leaves in 40 minutes. More tea, Watson? Thanks, old boy. Ah, peaceful down here, isn't it? Extremely. At the moment, I must confess, I find it rather nerve-wracking. Oh, why? Uh, You know why, Holmes. I want you to open that telegram and tell me if your solution to the the Woolan case was the correct one. Very well, my dear chap. Let's see. What is it? Uh Uh-huh. It's Brycroft. Listen. Murderer arrested and radium recovered. Well done, Sherlock, though you took longer than I expected. Regards, Mycroft. Congratulations, Holmes. (laughs) And now perhaps you'll condescend to to tell me how you solved it. Don't be angry with me, old chap. I only wanted to make sure that my solution uh, was correct. You remember the the nature of the fatal wound on Boulin's body? Of course. He'd been stabbed through the right oracle of the heart. From behind. Proving that the murderer was... Clearly right-handed. Oh, what does that signify? Almost everybody's right-handed. Oh, no, not in this case. If you recall, Professor Boulin said that uh, Geoffrey Barker was adroit, while his other two assistants were gauche. Then he laughed because he said his remark grew both literally and figuratively. I still don't see what I'm talking about. Oh, come now, Watson, come. Uh, uh, think of the origin of the word adroit. Adroit. Droit is the French word for Right. And gauche is, is the word for left. Meaning the two gauche assistants were left-handed, and therefore only the adroit, the right-handed Barker, could have inflicted the fatal wound. I see it now, Holmes. <laughs> you know, if you'd remembered that mark of Boulin's at the time we found his body, you could have solved the case much sooner. That's true, old fellow, very true. <laughs> and when my old friend Watson points out that my memory is failing and my mind sluggish, then I know that my retirement has been postponed for... Far too long. Well, so so Holmes really went through with his idea of becoming a bee farmer. Yes, of course, of course. It became one of his favorite hobbies. Do you know anything about the, the raising of bees? Oh, nothing at all. The only connection I've ever had with bees was very remote. Once I had the hives. Once you had the... Oh, no, oh, no, no, Mr. Barker. <laughs> oh, yes, Dr. Watson. But seriously, I do know one thing about bees. Even when you know all about them, you're apt to get stung. That's true enough. So I'll make my hobby Petri wine. You know, you can't miss when you buy Petri wine, because Petri wine is always good wine. The Petri family has been making fine wine for generations. In fact, they started way back in the 1800s. And they've handed on down from father to son, from father to son, the knowledge and experience absolutely essential to the making of truly fine wine. And since the making of Petri wine is a family affair, you can be sure that the name Petri means something on a bottle of wine. Those letters, P-E-T-R-I, are more than a trademark. They're the personal assurance of the Petri family that every drop of Petri wine is good wine. So when you buy wine of any type, you can put your faith in the Petri label because Petri took time to bring you good wine. Well, Dr. Watson, what new Sherlock Holmes story are you going to tell us next week? Well, I'll never see next week, Mr. Bartell. I'm going to tell you about one of the weirdest adventures that Holmes and I ever had. It concerns a haunted chapel in the wilds of Cornwall... Strange organ music that played at midnight, 
and the headless ghost of a murdered monk. Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure was written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, The Rygate Puzzle. Music is by Dean Fossler. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California invites you to tune in again next week same time, same station. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is Harry Bartell saying good night for the Petri family. Petri Wine brings you Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invites you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. And as for me, well, I'd like to tell you the easiest way I know to get the reputation of being the perfect host. Next time friends come over for dinner, before you sit down to the table, serve glasses of Petri California Sherry. Petri Sherry is the best beginning a good meal ever had. I say Petri Sherry because Petri Sherry is extraordinary Sherry. You can tell by looking at it. Hold it to the light. Notice how clear it is. Notice its beautiful deep amber color. And you can tell Petri Sherry is unusual from just a whiff of its fragrance. And, of course, in the last analysis, you can tell just how fine a wine Petri Sherry is by tasting it. That's the best test of all. And that's where you'll get the most pleasant surprise because Petri Sherry really tastes wonderful. A flavor right from the heart of the grape. So serve Petri Sherry to your family and your friends, and serve it proudly, because the name Petri is the proudest name in the history of American wines. And now I'm sure our good friend Dr. Watson's expecting us. Let's not keep him waiting. Good evening, Doctor. Good evening, Mr. Bartell. You'll forgive me if I, I don't get up, won't you, my boy? Of course, Doctor. What's the matter, a touch of rheumatism? No, no, I've played 18 holes of golf today. <laughs> I hope that when I'm your age, Doctor, I can be half as sprightly. Oh, it's nice of you, but if you don't mind, we won't discuss the uh, question of my age. <laughs> so drop your chair, make yourself comfortable, and I'll get on with tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure. Well, from the hint you gave us last week, it sounded like quite a spooky story. It was, Mr. Bartell. It, it certainly was. Towards the end of November in the year 1895, a dense yellow fog had settled down over London. For four or five days, it was impossible from our rooms in Baker Street to see the outline of the houses opposite. A real London pea super, huh, Doctor? Yes, my boy, and it became most depressing. The first day, Holmes had spent in cross-indexing his huge book of criminal references. The second and third had been patiently occupied with a subject which he had recently made his hobby, the music of the Middle Ages. But when on the fourth day, on pushing back our chairs after breakfast, we saw the greasy, heavy brown swirl still drifting past us and condensing in oily drops upon the window panes, Sherlock Holmes's impatient and active nature 
could endure this drab existence no longer. He paced restlessly about our sitting room, chafing against the inaction. After several minutes of these perambulations, he turned to me and spoke. Anything of interest in the paper, Watson? There's news of a revolution, a possible war, and of an impending change in the government. Nothing to interest you, though. <laughs> no crimes of any importance. The London criminal is certainly a dull and unenterprising fellow these days. Look out of the window, Watson. See how the figures loom up, are dimly seen, and then blend once more into the foggy depths. What a day for a thief or a murderer. He could roam London as the tiger does the jungle, unseen until he pounces, and then evident only to his victim. That's a cheerful thought, I must say. Hello, hello. I wonder who that is. Probably a visitor for Mrs. Hudson, or perhaps the local plumber has finally condescended to pay some attention to the faulty gas jet in our hallway. I don't think you're right on either count. I can hear Mrs. Hudson's footsteps on the stairs. Come in. Come in. Yes, Mrs. Hudson, what is it? Oh, excuse me, Mr. Holmes, but there's a gentleman to see you. Says it's most important, and he asked me to give you this card. Oh, thank you. Oh, Mr. Mahali, eh? Show him up, please, Mrs. Hudson. Very good. Mr. Mahali, and who's he? I've not had the pleasure of meeting him personally, but I'm quite familiar with his scientific reputation. Scientific? Oh, and what does he specialize? Oh, I, uh, I suppose one might refer to him as one of the greatest authorities on all matters connected with the occult. You mean the fellow dabbles in supernatural stuff and all that sort of thing? Hmm. I mean, my dear Watson, that uh, Mr. Mahali is an extremely intelligent man with a thoroughly comprehensive and scholarly knowledge of his field and an intense belief in the existence of the supernatural force. Now, here he is to speak for himself. Oh, come in, Holly. Thank you, Mrs. Hudson. Uh, you're Mr. Sherlock Holmes? Yes, sir. This is my colleague, Dr. Watson. How do you do, Mr. Holly? How do you do, Doctor? Uh, won't you sit down, sir? Thank you. Well, you fellas probably wondering who I am and what's brought me here. Well, we're not wondering who you are, Mr. Holly. My friend Holmes was just telling me of your scientific eminence. I'm flattered that you know of me, Holmes. Just the same. You're wondering why I'm here. Naturally, sir. Well, since you know I'm a student of the occult, I'll get right down to my problem. Mr. Holmes, have you ever heard of the headless monk of Trevenis Chapel? Oh, yes, indeed, Mr. Holly. An apparition to be counted among our more intangible national treasures, I should say. I'm sorry to appear stupid, but I have never heard of the headless monk of whatever it is, chapel. Well, then, let me tell you about it, Doctor. Yes, I wish you would. Trevenis Manor in Cornwall was once an abbey. It was expropriated during the reign of Henry VIII, and several of the monks were killed in some of the, uh, <laughs> some of the minor difficulties attendant on such an act. But one of the murdered monks, a certain Brother Hugh, the chapel organist, was persistent. He still haunts the chapel today. He still plays the organ. And since he was beheaded, he always appears headless. <laughs> Charming little legend, Mr. Harley, but you don't expect us to believe it's anything but a legend, surely. Ah, skeptic, eh? How about you, Mr. Holmes? I'm extremely curious to know why you've come to see me, Mr. Harley. I'll tell you why. I have a rare opportunity to investigate the phenomena. You see, the son of an old friend of mine, a young fellow by the name of Leonard Miles, is secretary to the owner of Trevenis Manor. He asked me to stay there, and I find the invitation irresistible, particularly since the phenomena have curiously increased of late, Mr. Holmes, almost as though some more mortal agency were motivating them. Oh. Now, I see why you've come to me, Mr. Holly. I knew you would, Holmes. You see, I'm like my good friend and fellow investigator, Karnacki. I believe in being prepared to meet phenomena on either the natural or the supernatural plane. If the phenomena are real, then they fall legitimately in my field. Whereas if um, 
as I'm sure you suspect, they are being controlled by human forces, then you think uh, that's more of my department, eh, Holly? Exactly. Well, what do you say, Holmes? A little trip to Cornwall would be a nice few, few days. We, we'd probably escape the fog down there. Ah, the places with the weather, Watson. What? I'm much more concerned with the fog that surrounds the appearances of the headless monk at Trevenice Chapel. And Mr. Harley, I accept invitation with pleasure. There's still time to catch the Cornish Express. We can be at Trevenice Manor before the moon... this funny-looking fellow coming down the steps towards us. If I didn't hear the sound of his footsteps, I believe it was a psychic manifestation. And he looks as if he came from beyond the grave. Who be ye, gentlemen? Where be ye going? Well, supposing you tell us who you are first, my good man. Who be I? I be David Bendragon, sir. That's who I be. Stable and here at the manor. And I ask you gentlemen again where you be going. We're staying at the manor. And we're just going to take a look at the chapel. Oh, don't he do that, sir. People that go in there don't often come out the way they go in, sir. Don't he do it, gentlemen. What are you talking about, my good fellow? I be talking about the ghoulies and the ghosties and the organ music that comes out of the nowhere. You... you heard it? Of course I heard it, sir. Just like I seen the poor monk walking around without his head on. Take us into the chapel, will you? And show us where you saw the figure. Aye, that I will not, sir. Not for all the gold in Port Call will I go back and chance seeing the poor lost wandering about without his head on. You gentlemen know what's good for you. You'll not go in there either. Mark the words. Don't he go in that chapel. Extraordinary chap. Seems really frightened of the place. Yes, but it's more than blind superstition that accounts for his reluctance. Uh, let's go in, shall we? Well, I suppose it's all right. Great Scott. Listen to that. The organ. The ghosts playing it. We are extremely fortunate. A psychic manifestation as soon as we enter. Remarkable. Psychic manifestation. Rubbish. Look who's sitting at the keyboard. It's Holmes. Holmes. What's the matter, Watson? What's the matter? <laughs> you frightened us to death, didn't you, Holly? Well, speaking for myself, Doctor, you disappointed me. I thought it was a genuine phenomenon. What do you think you're doing, Holmes? I thought you were still behind us. I'm sorry if I frightened you, Watson. I was curious about this organ. I slipped in by the side door ahead of you and tested the instrument. It's in astonishingly good condition for a disused chapel, don't you think, Harley? Yes, I do, Holmes. One might reasonably presume that someone tends it with great care. In fact, I would go further Who and are say... You? What are you doing in here? Uh, we are guests at the manor house and we decided to pay a visit to the chapel before we paid our respects to our host. Oh, my father is your host. I'm Dorothy Brown. How do you do, Dorothy? Uh, my, my name is uh, Holmes, and these gentlemen are Dr. Watson and uh, Mr. Harley. How do you do, Dr. Watson? Mr. Harley, I heard the organ music, and I was terribly frightened. You've heard of the legend, I suppose. You mean about the headless monk and the ghostly organ music, Miss Brownlee? Yes, Doctor, and it's more than a legend, I assure you. That's why I rushed over here as soon as I heard it. It must have frightened all the servants within hearing distance. Why were you playing the organ? I was curious to see whether it was in good repair. Obviously it is, Mr. Holmes. Well, my father and his secretary, Mr. Miles, are expecting you, I know. Let's walk over to the house, shall we? I'm sure you've seen enough of the chapel for tonight. Father, this is Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. How do you do? How do you do, sir? How do you do? 
This is my secretary, Leonard Miles. How do you do, Mr. Miles? Dr. Watson? I'm afraid Mr. Brown is rather angry with me. I hadn't told him that you were an expert on psychic phenomena, Mr. Harley. I fail to see why the knowledge of that fact should make you angry, Mr. Brownley. I don't want you ferreting about into this so-called ghost business. There's been enough trouble in the neighborhood already. It's almost impossible to keep servants. And these Cornish people are incredibly superstitious. You haven't seen the ghost yourself, Mr. Brownley? Oh, of course not. There isn't any ghost, I tell you. You heard the mysterious organ playing? Hmm? Uh, well, uh, no, no, I haven't. And I don't want to talk about it anymore. Yes, yes, what is it? David Pendragon at the door. He's very anxious to see you, sir. Pendragon? Oh, very well. Tell him to come in. Uh, yes, sir. David? What does he want, I wonder? Pendragon, that's the fellow we met outside the chapel, isn't it? Yes. Quite a colorful character. Oh, he's a superstitious old fool, if you ask me. But he is a good groom. Yes, Pendragon? What is it? Begging your pardon, sir, but there'll be trouble at the chapel again tonight. I says to myself, David, tis your duty to go to the master, I oh, says. Oh, never mind, never mind. What's the trouble? As the moon was hanging low tonight, sir, I hears the organ a-playing. But that was Mr. Holmes, my good man. Aye, that's what he thinks, maybe. But what I says to myself is, what made him play the organ? And then this very night, I saw the headless man. With my own eyes, I saw that poor soul with his head off, wandering in the moonlight. I saw that, sir, with my own eyes, I did. Oh, get out of here, you blithering old fool. And I'm warning you. If I hear any more nonsense about this ghost, you'll lose your job, you understand? Now, come along, be off with you. Aye, sir, begging your pardon, sir. Come on, I'll give you chaps a drink. Mr. Browner seems absolutely rabid on the subject of the ghost, eh? Yes, suspiciously so. What about he's trying to... Whatever it is, I don't think he'll be successful. In your profession, Holmes, you know that murder will out. It's true in my profession also. Try to suppress them as you may, gentlemen. Ghosts will out. may be haunted, but I swear that I never spent a better night anywhere. Ah, good morning, Mr. Harley. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Good morning. I'm glad to see I'm not the only late riser. Oh, were you up late too, sir? Yes, I was, Doctor. I decided to ignore the veiled threats of Mr. Brownlee, and so I did a little investigating in the chapel. Uh, would you mind passing the teapot? And what were the results of your investigations, Mr. Harley? Well, there was no psychic manifestation, you understand, but I'm sure of one thing. That chapel is evil. Evil to the hearts of its stones. And I'll swear that evil does not stem from the hapless monk who was murdered there. Mm, you can confirm certain suspicions aroused by my own investigations last night. There is evil here, Mr. Harley, and I think I know its nature. Unless I mistake every sign and reaction, someone has been initiating the local pedigree to the evils of the Black Mass. Mass? Good Lord, what a, what a shocking thought. My own sensations last night confirm your theory, Holmes. There is a coven here, I swear it, hiding its own obscene practices under cover of the haunting. Well, that sounds quite feasible. After all, the people are so superstitious that they'd keep as far away as possible from the chapel when they, when they heard the organ playing. Well, this problem falls into both our fields, Harley. The practice of black magic is a criminal offence. Perhaps it's just as well. The old laws against witchcraft are still in force. I imagine, Mr. Harley, that you... Uh... Have your own methods of combating such forces as we're up against? Oh, yes, Holmes. Oh, mine are not connected with the legal aspect of the case. Of May I ask what you plan to do, sir? Well, I have several rather elaborate preparations to make, Doctor. It'll take me most of the day, I'm afraid. However, I shall explain them to you all uh, after dinner tonight.
it's very pleasant to sit here after a good dinner with a superb brandy at one's elbow <laughs> and listen to the piano being so, so charmingly played. You're very kind, darling. Want to play something more, Miss Bowley? I'd love to. Are you enjoying your stay down here, Oh, Mr. very Holmes? much, thank you. Both Mr. Harley and I have found the local folklore extremely interesting. I see. You fellows haven't been investigating the haunted chapel business again, have you? Oh, look here. If you have, I shall be very angry. It's abusing my hospitality. I told you distinctly I didn't want any more talk of ghosts. We are not talking of ghosts, my dear Mr. Brownlee. I have something even more important that I must fight now. It's possibly a little hard to imagine me as a crusader. Me, the such little man beside the four of you, as toweringly tall a quartet of men as I have ever faced. And yet, I am your St. George. What on earth are you talking about, sir? I'll tell you in secrecy. This mustn't reach the ears of the peasantry. I refer to myself as St. George because I go to wipe out an evil that lives in your midst, a living modern dragon. Oh, please, Mr. Harley. That sounds deadly frightening. And to rid you all of this fiend, I must cleanse the chapel, purify it, exercise it, remove its residue of psychic evil. That, gentlemen, is my mission tonight. Dorothy, fainted. Get some smelling salts quickly. I'm afraid you were a little too graphic, Mr. Harley. I'm sorry if I frightened the young lady, but I, I'm sure that after tonight she will have no further grounds for fear in Trevenice Manor. Holmes. Yes, old chap. Did you hear anything? Nothing but the owls and the clock striking midnight. I'm getting all jumpy. What do you suppose Harley's up to? I can imagine his procedure. Midnight. A crucial hour, I suppose, in his endeavors. I wish him luck. My own plans are not nearly as clear, unfortunately. I sense a guiding force here, but I lack the clues. There is something, Holmes. Listen! Great heavens! It's the organ in the chapel. And Harley's in there alone. Not alone. Listen to the organ. Peeling forth its madness. Come on, Watson. Something has gone horribly wrong. You'll hear the rest of Dr. Watson's story in just a second. You know, a moment ago, I told you how much I thought you'd like Petri California Sherry. But I didn't tell you that Petri Sherry is the all-round, all-American wine. You can not only serve Petri Sherry before dinner, it's good after dinner, too. And, of course, later evening when you're listening to the radio with some friends, a glass of Petri Sherry is just the thing. And say, Petri makes two kinds of sherry, the regular and Petri Pale Dry. To make sure you get the one that you like best, do what I do. Don't buy one, buy two. But remember, always buy Petri. Dr. Watson, that was a heck of a place to break off your story. Then let us continue it as speedily as possible, my boy. As soon as we heard that devilish organ music, Holmes and I rushed out of the house and raced in the moonlight down the path leading to the ruined chapel. By the time we reached the entrance, the organ music had ceased, and the tall, gangling figure of David Pendragon was standing in our path. You gentlemen be wanting it this Never time of night. That. What are you doing here? Oi, I be here because the gentleman gave me five shillings to stand outside here and see that no one disturbed him. Uh, That's why I be here. And nobody did come or go. He still be there, he be. But when you heard that organ music, why the devil didn't you go in? Organ music? I heard no organ oh, music, come sir. come on, Watson. Uh, 
Great heavens. Look at him. We're too late. Poor devil. A knife through his heart. It's obvious who did it at Fuller Pendragon. I'll, I'll go and grab him no, before no, he gets no, away. He's not our man. This murder was planned with devilish cunning. The curious thing, there's no sign of a struggle at all. Looks like he just stood here and allowed himself to be stabbed. There are these uh, chalk marks with which the body is surrounded. They're known as a pentagram, I believe. He thought it would protect him completely from the supernatural forces. Poor chap. For once his researches went too far. Yes, because they touched not on the supernatural, but upon natural evil. And remember, Watson, that only three people besides ourselves and David Pendragon knew of this vigil. Yes, Brownlee, his daughter, and young Miles, the secretary. Exactly. Um, go back to the house, will you? And bring them here. Perhaps we can lay a ghost by trapping a murderer. That's all I know, Mr. Holmes. Well, you've not established much so far, Holmes. The three of them all swear that they were asleep and that they didn't hear the organ. Yes, then you can't prove otherwise, I Holmes. think I can prove that one of you was not only awake, but also murdered Mortimer Harley. But why should any of us want the poor man dead, In Mr. Holmes? In your case, young lady, I confess that I find it hard to conceive a motive. Implying that Mr. Brownlee and I might have one. Holmes, Miles, you must admit that you're responsible for Mr. Harley coming here. And you, Mr. Brownlee, must... Uh... Admit that you did everything in your power to prevent the dead man from carrying out his investigation. Why? What are you trying to hide? Nothing. It's just that I wanted to sell the manor house. All this talk about ghosts was giving the place a bad name. If it had gone on, I'd never have disposed of the property. Well, speculation can get us nowhere. Let's get down to facts. Is there any other entrance to this chapel besides the two doors? None. Oh, there was an old smuggler's cave which came out near the organ lot. But Father had it bricked up some years ago. I had to. The tourists kept crawling in. Go and examine it, will you, Watson, old chap? All right, you are, Holmes. If you don't mind my saying so, Mr. Holmes, it seems obvious who did this murder. You told us David Pendragon admitted that no one went in or out as he stood up. He must have stealth. Oh, the man's half-witted. And superstitious. He might have killed Mr. Harley because he was attempting to interfere with the ghost. And then played the organ to celebrate the occasion? I think you overestimate David Pendragon's capabilities, Miss Brownlee. Mr. Miles. Yes, Mr. Holmes. Uh, Pendragon is waiting outside. Would you be kind enough to ask him to come here for a moment, please? Certainly. Uh, why don't you find out, Watson? Well, it's easy to see where it was bricked up, but it's a slab. No one could get in that way. But if no one came in or out, who else could have killed Harley except Pendragon? The ghost, or rather the person disguised as a ghost. The dead man expected a psychic manifestation when he, uh, when he saw the supposed ghost Coming towards him, he offered no resistance. He believed that the magical pentagram would protect him. Ah, there you are, David. Aye, here I be, sir. But I don't know nothing more than what I told thee. Oh, don't be frightened, Pendragon. All we want is the truth. That's what I told thee, sir. And tell us a little more, will you? Uh, when you said no one had entered the chapel tonight, you meant that no mortal man had entered, didn't you? That I did, sir. But how could I say I'd seen the ghost when Mr. Brownlee had told me I'd lose my job if I spoke of the ghost again? Oh, now we're getting somewhere. So you did see the ghost? That we did, sir. The poor soul walking through the moonlight with no head on his body. You saw it clearly? Just as clearly as I see you now, sir. How tall was he? He was... Would you, would you mind standing against the wall, sir? Yes, of course. He was as tall as... Well... His shoulders come to just where your shoulders come now, sir. You're a tall man, then, so we narrow it down to either you, Mr. Brownlee, or you, Mr. Oh, Miles. this is utterly ridiculous. Of course it is. On the contrary, gentlemen, the case is solved. Which one of them was it, Holmes? Neither. Remember that the ghost is headless. That means that the imposter must have built up fake shoulders covering the head. On either of these men, it would have uh, brought their shoulders to the level of my head. Great Scott, <laughs> it was... 
Hello, Mr. Holmes. I didn't think you'd catch me. Dorothy! No, no, I don't believe it. Miss me, I must warn you that... Get back! Don't any of you come near me. As you see, I have a revolver. Dorothy, for heaven's sake! Don't speak to me of heaven! (laughs) You thought I was a sweet little girl, didn't you, Father? (laughs) You didn't know your dear, demure daughter could murder a man, did you? Why did you kill Mortimer Harley? Because he was a meddler. For months I've been practicing black magic. For months I've been building up the legend of the headless monk and the organ music. It made me so wonderfully alone. So gloriously free to practice the rite. And then he came here. I let him live that first night because I thought he was a fool. But on second, when he said he was going to exorcise this chap, to purify it, as he said, he signed his death warrant. (laughs) If you could have seen his face, if you could only have seen his stupid, toddled face, as I plunged the knife into him. Dorothy! He bled so beautifully. Holmes, Holmes, she's mad as a hatter. What are we going to do? Finally, give me that revolver. And let you take me to prison or to asylum? No, you'll never catch me. She's backing up the stairs leading to the organ loft. Dorothy, Dorothy, come back. Don't try and follow Look me. out. The railing's behind you. Oh, and turn my head. Oh, no, Mr. Holmes. I... Mr. Brownlee, the powers of evil are frightening. Your daughter had killed one man and might have killed more. She was insane, hopelessly insane. Well, Doctor, that was quite an exciting story. I wish I could play the organ and write music for it. There's nothing like music to really express a thought. Yes, I can just imagine the kind of music that you'd write. Probably catchy little ditties such as The family took the time to bring you such good wine. So when you eat and when you drink, remember Petri wine. Oh, no, Doctor. Is that the way I affect you? Although on the level, you could probably write beautiful music to describe the way the grapes look on the vine in the sunlight. But what music could tell you about the Petri family? and How long they've been making fine wine? You know, the Petri family has been making wine for generations, handing on down from father to son, from father to son, the knowledge necessary to transform luscious, sun-ripened California grapes into delicious, fragrant wine. And when you see that name Petri on a bottle of wine, remember, you're not looking at a mere trademark. That name Petri is the personal assurance of the Petri family that every drop of wine in that bottle meets their unusually high standards. Petri wine is always good wine. It's got to be, because Petri took time to bring you good wine. Well, Dr. Watson, what new Sherlock Holmes adventure do you have lined up for us next week? Well, now, let me think. Uh, Next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you a story that started quietly enough. As Holmes and I sat at a London dinner party, and yet, before the evening was over, we found ourselves involved in one of the most shocking scandals that ever rocked London society. Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure was written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, The Adventure of the Devil's Foot. Music is by Dean Fossler. 
Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petri family. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.